Hey everyone, welcome to the 249th episode of The Movie Review Show. With me, your host, Jeff, and it's part of the MySpace, the podcast. These are just the things I say at every uh, the beginning of each episode. I want to say that this is going to be a little different than a normal episode because I'm doing a three-fur. It's, so it's going to be a little longer. I'm going to treat it like they're all individual episodes, uh, you know, individual movie reviews. I'm not, even though the three movies are, I think, kind of nicely linked together. It's, uh, I'm going to do them uh, uh, all, give them their own time to shine, if you will. And then I might talk about it some more at the end. I'll see if I have time. I don't know if I will have time. But if I do, I will I'll be glad to do that because they're all really good uh, movies. Uh, in order, I watched Aniara. Aniara. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Let's look at that. Aniara pronunciation. I'm just clicking on the first link here. I don't know if this is um, it's a Swedish word. <laughs> okay, that was Aniara. All right, that's so it's translated into Harry. What? In English? What? I don't really know the origin of this word. So I'll begin to each movie, like I said, individually. So I'm not going to go crazy with uh, that right now. Uh, this this, And I don't know what order I'm going to do. I'm going to record all of this in, in, in blocks. So uh, you'll, you'll hear the trailer for the first, or you'll hear a clip when I'm done talking here, and that'll be the first movie I when I order them. I'm just going to give you a quick intro of each one. Uh, they all were released in the United States in 2019. This is this first one was a, a Swedish film. Uh, they all, they're all space sci-fi dramas, sort of just, and they all have a common theme of I would say loneliness, human loneliness, uh, among other themes. But that seems to be the constant. And I'm actually not done with the uh, third one. Uh, I have to finish watching that. Uh, sh- Probably shortly after recording this, I want to get uh, the individuals done, uh, blocks done for the for the first two movies. So I watched uh, Aniara, Swedish. Um, Swedish language film, uh, which is not something you typically see, and I don't, I didn't know the Swedish. Uh, I don't know what's up with the Swedish film industry, but uh, just a really, really good one. Second film I watched was a more well-known film that I think did pretty well in the movies last year was Ad Astra. Yeah, it was a hit. It took on $130 million. It's a Brad Pitt space sci-fi movie. They're all space sci-fi movies today. Uh, so Ad Astra, written by, directed by, and co-written by James Gray, who did, who um, I always think of James Gray, and, I, and isn't that the guy of the, isn't it's spelled differently. Isn't there like a, um, the guy who was the writer who got, like outed as a as a um who was the guy who wrote that book that it turned out he plagiarized it uh man i don't I, is it wasn't his name james gray i'm i'm trying to i'm trying to think of this what was the name of that book it was like shattered or uh play i mean like james gray writer plagiarized plagiarized james oh james frey so was James Frey is not James. Sorry, sorry. James Frey is different than James Gray, who uh, I don't know much of his works. Uh, he, um, the Lost City of Z, 
that got a lot of buzz. I didn't see that. That was 2016. And I would watch that, I think. The Immigrant, which uh, was is a, is a Jeremy Renner, Joaquin Phoenix, and Marion Cotillard. Uh, and then a bunch of some other earlier ones I have not. I haven't seen any of his films with this. That was also good. I, I like that, Astra. And then finally, the one I'm watching right now that I'm in the middle of, that will be the third uh, film. And again, we'll figure out the order. You'll know the order by what, uh, by what happens here. Is another really small budget eight mil for eight million euro budget uh, production of High Life, which is a English language film uh, directed by Claire Denis, a French director and writer, who I again I'm also not super familiar with. She has been in the game uh, a long time, been making feature films since. Um, oh, she did uh, Chocolat. But the not the original chocolate, not the. I don't even know if this. Oh, she chocolate nineteen eighty eight. I don't know any of these films. They're they're all in France French. Uh, but High Life was her debut English language production, and I'm in the middle of that. It's very artistic. I'm liking it a lot. Uh, and that also came out in twenty nineteen. And uh, in the United States, released, I guess, late 2018 in uh, uh, festivals and whatnot. Uh, but I'm enjoying that. They're, they're all similar in that they're space sci-fi movies. And they have these, again, a lot of them deal with these, this, this idea of, uh, I feel like, human loneliness. They're all, they're very unique, though. They're all their own kind of looking and feeling things. There's a couple of uh, interesting parallels that I've been trying to note. So uh, as we as I as I go tackle each of these reviews, I, I'll, I'll I'll point out some things here or there to how they relate together. But why I wanted to do this, I know I had sworn off doing multiple movie episodes, longer form episodes, in favor of just doing my typical uh, fifteen to twenty five thirty minute uh, takes on single movie reviews, which I. I think going forward, that's that's going to be the case. But I'm a weird numerologist. I'm a, I'm a numerologist, if you will. And this being episode 249, and this being the, the 297th, 98th, and 99th film, I saw an opportunity to do a three-for-one special. And I took it because that means episode 250 of the Movie Review Show will also... We also will be looking at the 300th film that I've reviewed, and that's kind of a nice landmark, and it's nice that the 300th film is being talked about on episode 250. Uh, it's meaningless bullshit, but it's it makes sense in my brain. I'll leave, And I'm going to do something different with that review, I think. Still TBD on that, uh, What? and I don't want to uh, uh, announce the movie uh, for episode 250, movie number 300 yet right now because I, it might change my mind. As I am wont to do anyway this is a, a long-winded intro because i do want to spend uh, at least uh 15 minutes or so dissecting each of these films which they're all quite quite good one of them at least one of them as of this moment in time will uh dethrone a movie on my top 10 movies of the year for 2019 which one will it be you'll have to stay tuned and find out. Let's take a short break and we'll listen to a clip from movie number one of this special three-pack edition of the Movie Review Show with me, Jeff.
star shade, just ready to deploy. You see it opening up, just like a prairie flower in the springtime. Would be serving. So I guess that. This is goodbye. Light! Out not only your judgment but your character. See, we're just out from Mars now. Just on our way past Jupiter. Eventually on to Neptune. You have traded glimpse of the infinite. I am free of your moral boundaries. I have both clarity. And I know for certain. I'm on my way to Neptune. Zero G and the extended duration of the journey is affecting me, both physically and mentally. I'm alone. Something I always believed I preferred. But I confess, it's wearing on me. is the next film and you heard a clip from it's another film that really is about uh, loneliness and it's about the father and the son relationship and it's another very good film that I enjoy quite a bit uh, I will say that I don't know if it makes it it did not make my top 10 movies of the year but it's I think I will it's uh, worthy of the honorable mentions category for sure it is a rundown of it. Of course, it's a space sci-fi movie, as we're doing space sci-fi today. Written and co, uh, directed and co-written by James Gray, mentioned in the intro. Brad Pitt, Tommy Lee Jones, Liv Naga. I'm sorry, Ruth Naga. I was reading Liv, Liv Tyler in some flashbacks. A very small role. Uh, Ruth, uh, actress named Ruth Nega, uh, Donald Sutherland, a couple. Really, this is again, this is an isolation, a movie about isolation and loneliness and about human connection as as much as it is about anything else. And, uh, you know, the, of course, the father son stuff uh, is, if you know anything about this film, just kind of on the uh, on the periphery, you probably know that. Other than it, other than it being a sci-fi space movie, you probably do know that if you follow the world of movies, it is a, of course, a much bigger budget film of the three that we watched uh, by far. Probably um, the other two combined, uh, it probably surpasses them multiple times over. And you know, I don't know if it didn't get a, it didn't seem to get a ton of love at the end of the year from critics. Uh, it has a 84% uh, rating at Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty good, but not great. So it didn't get, didn't get the universal love. I feel like it, having watched it, I, I thought that it would have gotten more love than that. All these movies do, but I guess the space sci-fi, something about the space sci-fi genre specifically kind of turns off people um, in general. I won't, I won't go over this film... Um, Beat by beat, uh, plot-wise, uh, but just a, just a quick rundown. Basically, there is a mysterious power surge threatening all of humanity. 
the origin of sorry about that. The origin of um, the power surge is a mis- is a mystery, but they think that it was possibly due to from a spacecraft that it was lost. Another lost in space uh, situation that uh, uh, one famous astronaut uh, had launched twenty nine years earlier to voyage on purpose to the outer reaches of the solar system, looking for intelligent life and. They have not heard back from this ship in 16 years. They believe, as we learned, that the astronaut in charge may have gone loco and has killed his crew and has gone rogue and and shut off communications with Earth intentionally. I will say this, and I did mention in the the intro and earlier that it's not my game necessarily to what I'll call Neil deGrasse Tyson these films, which is kind of point out the flaws, but. I think this one suffered from some tactical uh, issues with the science stuff that maybe could have been done in a way that made it made more sense. Now, specifically to point out a couple of things, and I guess there's spoilers inherent in me pointing this out. So what, take that for what you will. Uh, it took so many years to get to where Tommy Lee Jones, who plays the lost father astronaut, and his son, who then who only knew him as a child, but then grows up later to become an astronaut in his own right, a good one. And I won't get into the whole plot of how he gets into the ship, but it's it's convoluted to a, to a, to a degree, but it, but interesting and, and entertaining. Uh, he gets on the ship and he goes out to go find his dad and to either, uh, I guess, confront him and then bring try to bring him back but uh there's a couple of things that the questions that came up to me um in that whole thing these are these are the big these are the big ones among other kind of a couple among among other questions about the science and about the plotting of this so you have this voyage out to neptune which takes many many years I did not feel that the time that Brad Pitt's vo- spacecraft, and he's probably on a spacecraft that has a lot more, uh, ab- has a greater ability to go f- to go faster than one that had been created 30 years earlier, right? I mean, that makes sense. But still, that would have still taken many years. Did not feel the time passing. I think they could have done more to like uh, Brad Pitt's face and or just like even, you know, they don't have to. And it's weird because this movie has got so much voiceover too. As as I as I deconstruct this movie, I feel like I'm giving it a worse review than because um, I did like it a lot. I did like it quite a bit, so I feel like I'm kind of unnecessarily uh, shitting on it. Um, but yeah, I, I you know I, I it was it was it was very good and but not great. The the I so that 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 bugged me. There was a couple of things about just the time and space travel in terms of just the passing of time in this one uh, that that didn't feel as real to me as it could have been. And I think that was a detriment to the movie because I think a lot of this is about the passing of time and how that kind of weighs on the human experience and these connection issues, these connect connecting with each other issues that are at the heart of the plot and the theme of this movie. Another one, strictly, I'm getting these out of the way just to kind of, because I don't want to talk about some of the parts of the movie that I really liked. So there's really three points. The second one being uh, there's a surge. Something set off the surge. Now, when we get out to to Tommy Lee Jones' character, uh, 
uh, it's he he says that the surge was accidental and he's been trying to stop it. And the one thing about this movie that I kind of liked is that there's no reason to believe that any of this is there's no there's no trick to this. Sort of what happens in this movie kind of just happens. And I believe it's it's all clear that this this is real and there's not kind of like I was expecting to like have some sort of ending that they're the same person or something. And I don't think they like there was not there's just it's just sort of I appreciate it has sort of natural and like kind of anticlimactic everything kind of happens in this you know I won't give away the ending here because I don't think I need to and it's there's nothing it's it's it is a movie that you're like that is works or doesn't work based on figuring this out but I will say that they concluded in such a way that was that they they avoided um the like oh see really this whole time they were the same person and blah blah like sometimes that can just totally irk me but um, they they're talking about this killer surge, and I guess this is a small spoiler. But the the ultimately the spacecraft that Tommy Lee Jones was on is is exploded, but it's right by the Neptune planet. And if a, an explosion started the surge, how would blowing up the spaceship right next to Neptune fix the surge? The the idea the the the, the whole idea of the surge itself was just like I feel like it, that needed a little bit more just sorting out in terms of expository kind of like uh, just detailing what that was. Cause it was such a major kind of like the life, the, I never felt the life and death situation of the whole of earth basically ceasing to exist based on this idea of, of, of a random surge caused by an accident out by Neptune. They needed a little bit more there. And the last one, I think it was a little underdone is that obviously these is a dystopian ish future. But the geopolitical landscape is really just is so shadowy. So they, they do two things here that, that I feel like could have been improved upon. They have this kind of, which it's fine to have this kind of um, oblique narrative about what, what life is like in some un, unknown future. I mean, they don't ever give you a date of what year this is. It's, some, it's, it's near-ish future. And there's this scene where they go to Mars, they go to the moon to launch into, they go to the moon to launch to Mars to then launch to Neptune. So they have, they have uh, space stations on all these planets and the moon has become sort of this international, uh, international territory that's, that's, that's not really doesn't belong to any one country, which I you know is, is interesting, but they have this whole uh, scene where, they're on these moon. They're on these moon. Uh, they're crossing the moon to get to the to the United States Army. It's, it's funny because they call it the Space Force, I believe, in this, and it's like they actually have that now. And I was like, did they know they were going to name an actual Space Force before they started making this movie? Neither here nor there. But NASA in this movie is is, is called the Space Force, like what it's called now. I think it's just called Space Force or, or uh, Space um, Space Command, Space Com, and. On their way to the on their way to this do this top secret thing, which is they want Brad Pitt to go to Mars to then send a transmission out to his father to stop what he's doing and to possibly come home if he's still alive. Now, again, there's some tech, there's some stuff there about like you know, could they could they have done this? Why they have to go to Mars to do this? Void like how what's the difference between isn't there like a huge di- uh, spatial difference between like you know, Earth and Mars and uh, Mars and Neptune, like isn't it, like it just seems like something off there in terms of like what why uh, 
the motivations for some of these ideas were uh, a little half baked. But it, I kind of, in a weird way, I'm I'm criticizing that. But I kind of I kind of like that it was was half baked because I I don't necessarily again I don't think that you need to have these things always explained to you. But I think in a in a greater narrative purpose to give to give your story the weight that it has, I think it needed a little bit more. Especially because Brad Pitt does voiceover throughout this whole movie, and he's constantly telling us what he's thinking. So you're you're, you're giving you're, you're privy to all these kind of internal thoughts that it's almost like there's no mystery there. So there should be less mystery overall. I feel like having the mystery of the Brad Pitt's psychological, and that's a big part of this. Like these psychological, uh, he always has to give these psychological tests before he's allowed to kind of do the next step of a project. They're constantly giving him psych tests. So there's this idea of like kind of controlling um, one's um, mind by just by constantly checking in on them, making sure they're okay. It's a weird form, kind of form of control. Uh, so I've criticized this movie a lot, and I'm going to give it a really pretty good grade. I don't have to give it a good grade. I could just, I could just uh, downgrade it right now. I can do anything I want. But I I did like it. I thought I there was I was I was constantly entertained and into it. So I mean, my, my criticism here of this film is almost in a weird way. It's like I feel like I'm kind of doing it in like in a in a loving way, if that makes sense. Like I I'm only criticizing it because I did enjoy it so much. I know that's maybe um, not. Uh, the right way to look at it or kind of do this, but whatever. This is my process. My process is never consistent and it's always changing. And that's just the way it is, y'all. Uh, I don't know much more I have to say about this. I like the look of it. I just like the, I like the, I like the tone. I like this, the aesthetic of this movie and I, all my issues with the plotting, uh, I can kind of put to the side because again, it's, it's, pretty it's it's a kind of a i didn't quite know quite quite know where it was going to go it's not predictable you know i remember watching a movie and i might have even reviewed this movie let me see it's funny that i've done so many of these now that i finally i i never reviewed this movie officially uh but the martian i remember that movie the martian which i think was a ridley scott movie with matt uh matt damon and that movie's so just like by the book kind of Hollywood space sci-fi that you're just sort of like, all right. Like I, I give, I give Astra if it has failures or it doesn't, it doesn't come together in certain ways. Like it's, it's shooting to do something a little bit more artistic and more delicate. And I think that's, that's like, you know, that's worth pointing out and, and saying like, yeah, that's, you gotta, and not to be completely cheesy and puntastic here, but you gotta shoot for the moon. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, they try, try, try to do bigger things. Cause what else, what's the point? If not, I enjoyed this film and I'm going to give it a good score. And you're about to hear that score. Cause I know you're all waiting with bated breath about what the score is going to be. I'm going to give this film folks. And thanks for being here. Thanks for being here on this, this journey with me. I'm going to give it an 8.6. <laughs> it feels too high. It feels too high. Now, how about this? I'm going to give it an 
8.359. Oh, God. 8.359. All right. And I will include it on my... Um, uh, honorable mention. God, I can't... I'm, I'm losing it here. I can't think. Uh, it does get to be on the honorable mention part of the website. Okay. There you have it. That's Ad, Ad Astra to the stars in Latin. Uh, to the moon with this one, right? Am I talking? And uh, again, please ignore my all my criticisms on this because I did generally. I, I, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed watching this. And my criticisms, again, are from my kind of loving to think about this stuff in a lot of ways. They're born of that more than they're born of me, like, being like, oh, this took me out of it. You know, I'm not criticizing because, like, I was taken out of it by these elements. I'm more criticizing it to be like, oh, this made me think uh, about certain things. And I don't know have all the answers. I'm not that smart, like as as previously mentioned. Uh, but there you have it, the, my review of Ad Astra and this very special three-movie space sci-fi adventure. <laughs> Don't drink your own piss with up. Don't eat your own shit. Even if it's recycled. Even if it doesn't look like piss or shit anymore. It's called a taboo. 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 The third science fiction film I watched, chronologically speaking, was High Life. And I can say that you're listening to this. This is actually the second film. Uh... In, in the order of the podcast because I'm going to do it in a ascending rank of my scores. So uh, for the listeners, that's uh, I've recorded. I'm recording this last, but it's going to go second in the uh, trilogy here of Ad Astra, High Life, and Aniara. So I like this one more than Ad Astra and less than Aniara. This is a weird one, folks. This is a kind of an art artistic film, and uh, if you're if you like artsy fartsy films, artsy fartsy, then this I got I got news for you. I think you're gonna like this one. I um, you know, it's fascinating. I guess I'll, I you know I guess I can kind of talk about this film. I'll talk about this film on its own merits, and then then we'll do. I'll wrap it up with by by kind of doing a little bit of uh, 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 analysis of the three on the whole, because it was it, it, there was some very unique parallels, and I've been talking a bit about it as I've gone here. But um, because this is coming second, I'll do I'll, I'll record that as another bit at the end. This is a film by Claire Denis, I believe it's pronounced Denis, because she's uh fr she's from France. And she has been making uh, movies for a long time. 
uh, and I haven't seen none of them. She's been making movies since the late 80s, and um, a lot of these are considered to be by some I would say Matt I think they're you know I think she's she's very well thought of, thought of in the, uh, the international uh, filmmaking community and just goes to show that someone like me a cinephile such as myself to have never have uh, seen any of her movies that is on me and I and I you know that's that's I'm, I'm trying to uh, to write some of these uh, cultural airs and you know I'm doing this never-ending uh, director series. I've been doing this director focuses, and I kind of picked. I did David Lynch first because David Lynch is, you know, one of my heroes. And so to start it off, I rewatched all of the David Lynch movies. And I did. I ranked them all, and I did a whole hour and a half podcast. I think it's episode one. Uh, oh, brother! Let me just look it up. It's um, it's a special episode. It's episode one seventy-five. It's a 90-minute podcast where I ranked, and I used a lot of media from the movies, and it was a different type of show. And I've been trying to go through and do a auteur. I've been doing doing all of their um, films, and right now I'm on Peter Greenaway, and it's it's taking me a little bit longer than I would would have would liked would like. Uh, and then afterwards, I've set up. I've already got it in my head that I'm going to do Kelly Reichert. Because and I want to I want to make sure I'm being inclusive of uh, uh, women d- female directors, and yeah, not just do a bunch of uh, you know white dudes. And um, you know I I it's 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 I I I I, am, I kind of abhor identity politics to a certain degree, uh, but that doesn't that but 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 diversity I feel like is something different than that and it's, and I think they kind of get intertwined maybe uh, because one can be very annoying and I think detrimental to the other uh, but I think diver- but I think I don't know why I'm going off on this tangent here for talking about high life but uh, it, this is just but I, I just I, you know I like this movie this movie was weird enough for me that I want to uh, I want to I want to um look at all of her films and I, it, and I think it's in a unique place because I can look at all of her films for the first time. Whereas I couldn't do that, uh, with Peter Greenaway or, um, David Lynch. And I also did it with Alejandro Jodorowsky, who's got a, a smaller d- filmography. Uh, and if you listen, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of this, but, uh, I, but I, I didn't love, I didn't absolutely love this film, but I, I was intrigued by it. A lot. I don't know. So, so my score is going to be. I think I have, I have issues with the movie, but I feel like I'm going to give it a kind of better score than maybe it. Not I don't say deserves, um, because I think it it's ripe for repeat viewings, and so I'm trying to think of where to slot it in. I'm gonna give it eight point uh eight point five. Yeah, this is perfect. Eight point five two five. High life. Five two five. Uh so not in the top ten for the year, but a solid eight border. I you know what? I think that's is that high enough to make it a nine? Probably not. I don't think it's quite there. I mean, let me consult my chart here. I have this incredibly convoluted at this point, uh 
way of way of doing all of this that is very stupid uh and i i apologize for that so why yeah i guess why man i i gotta see this is now the chart seems broken again because wild at heart should be a nine out of ten i think i don't know why that that got dipped into the eights i might lower this let me see here this is i'm sorry i'm i i am sorry all right yeah but i think i think what we're going to do here is everything above that this number here um but da 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 frozen 2 that that's so eight yeah so that's that's good this will be a, a 9 out of 10 but it is just above an 8 and a half it's like an 8 and a half 9 score this is all stupidly arbitrary So sorry for all that rambling nonsense. God, I gotta I gotta quit doing that because it's like it's why do I I don't know why I do that on the air because it's not something that is it, it's not good for the <laughs> being on the air. It's very stupid. Uh, but nonetheless, like I don't I can't make apologies at this point anymore. So I don't know why why I continue to do so. That's my my main goal is to not make a not apologize for nothing for nobody. High life. Get it high high life. It's a good title. It's kind of a play on, you know, they're up in space. And uh again the third I'm calling I'm gonna release this on uh, the uh MySpace the podcast feed. The title of this episode will be Spaceman Three, because it's all about the space people in the in the three films. And that's also the name of a band. I thought that was clever. I also had a very good title for my written review of this of this particular movie, High Life, Maroon Seven. And if you watch it, that's uh, a you watch the film, you'll get the title. Uh, I'm not going to say anything about more about it, and uh, just hopefully uh, it won't get flagged at IMDb. Ernest X Ernest saves Xmas. Uh, I'm on Wikipedia, and so I'm reading the plot of Wikipedia, and this is after having watched the movie, finishing it yesterday. And there are details in the Wikipedia that the Wikipedia plot description is a completely linear description of the plot to the point where they've dissected everything. And because and, the film is nonlinear, although it's not nonlinear, it's it's it, it starts with something towards the middle-ish. There's a there's a big time jump at the end, so it's kind of hard to quantify. But uh, it, it's nonlinear, but not not in the kind of obnoxious uh, way that's just doing it for the sake of doing it. I think it really adds to the story presenting it in nonlinear. And I think people get so obsessed with presenting a story in that way, like in the post Pulp Fiction kind of uh, era. Uh, and I actually, you know, I, I've I, I've always thought that about Pulp Fiction. I almost think the the nonlinear structure of Pulp Fiction is almost, to me, it almost feels unnecessary. Uh, and I know that's a that's a hot take, and this is not the forum for that. This review of um, High Life, so I'll, I will leave that there. Um, but I really liked the the non-linear structure here as it's, as it's employed, uh, deployed. Uh, so, and I like the look of this movie. I like the feel of this movie. It's incredibly dark. It is 
after <laughs> watching uh, and you know Ad Astra is not exactly a cheery movie but compared to the other two films uh this and Aniara uh it it's like watching the happiest movie I've ever seen in my life um because these two movies are just bleak and there's some scenes in this that are tough to watch there is a rape scene in this that is very difficult to watch to stomach uh he ties up uh, he used some binds these two uh, ladies to a bed and uh, you know luckily they get out and the, the, but it is a, it is a brutal scene the brutally violent scene and uh there's a lot of just despair and brutal violence and you know, I I will again listen to the end of this ep to get a good because uh, I want to run down a few things about how all three of these movies uh, deal with certain aspects. Uh, there's there's some very you know, and this was un- unintentional to a degree. I wanted to do have a thematic tie, but I mean, I, I, I all I knew about these movies is that they were in space. Now that 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 could there's so many different ways a movie in space can go that there's, there were so many, I think parallels between the three of these and in, in the, in the stories and how they're and like what happens in space. It's was bizarre to me that that was the, like, that was the case. Uh, uh, so, but you know, let's stick around. Let's stick on highlight for now. You got the story of again, and he, the plot synopsis, the very first sentence of this, I read and I was like, I don't quite know if I if they where they how they wrote this plot synopsis because a lot of this information almost feels like it was came off of a page of of like a treatment for the movie. I think a lot of it is not spoken or, I I, I will say I watched the first half of this without subtitles and it's in a, it's English it's it's her, actually her Claire Denis first uh, English language production, but I had trouble kind of. I missed some lines of dialogue and I missed some, I think I missed picking up on some things. Per, maybe potentially I, I, but I'm reading this in the, the first, let me just read the first line of the Wikipedia plot description. A group of criminals serving death sentences are sent on an alternative energy finding mission in space to extract energy from a black hole. Okay. That's super, super specific. And when you're watching this, it's clear that you don't really know what's going on. You're left to piece to pieces together. And really, I, I don't think I got, I mean, you get that these people are not scientists or astronauts right away. And that's, I mean, just for them, for the, for uh, the Robert Pattinson character, he's almost, he almost like reminded me of the voice he was doing, the accent. He sounded like the guy, the his character from good time. So, He's clearly not like a high, highly educated astronaut guy. He looks like a punk, and he's look. Uh, he's in the, and everyone on board is sort of acting acting like these um, deranged, kind of uh, uh, stuck in adolescent, uh, young adults, uh, kind of just craziness. And they all kind of have like an evil vibe, including the doctor, who we learn later, is also a prisoner, but somehow in charge. This was structurally, I think, an issue that I won't ding it too much because I think that it's an absurd story that uh, it's it to nitpick certain elements of it is sort of like, well, the whole thing is absurd. So I, why, I don't, and, and we, this is, this has come up a lot in, in the three movies that we've uh, gone over in this episode, but like, so th- there's nobody really in charge. I mean, there's a captain, but I think he's also a prisoner. He like dies. He like dies of a stroke working out. It's you know, there's like little things like that are a little bit like half baked. But I I liked it because the tone of this movie is so 
um, oblique. And they're the characters seem under there's there's an underdevelopment, um, especially the, you know the, the secondary characters, the non Robert Pattinson character. Uh, those those characters feel a bit underdeveloped, but I think it's on purpose. And the dialogue between the characters is, is bizarrely stilted, and it almost feels like they kind of present non sequiturs uh, at times, especially like at the at the end of conversations. And it was very. Um, It was off-putting in a way that that I found interesting. Like I thought, I thought in, as a film, de- as a device in a movie, it was actually pretty, pretty interesting to to do this, um, to have these because because they're they're just these kind of insane characters, and they're in this very isolated setting that is sort of ripe for that for people who are already insane to kind of go more insane and clearly they all go insane I and mean, they all you know spoiler alert but uh everybody uh kicks it in one weird way or the other uh but it's also a super horny movie like it's it's, it's super it's very obsessed with sex so so they're, they're on this energy finding mission which again i don't know if i ever gathered that specifically other than i knew they were doing something with black holes whether how they were supposed to be harness this energy and report back to the earth to to get new forms of energy i don't know that's not really flushed out at all in the actual film I'm, it makes sense that they would take and they're all prisoners there's these prisoners that are that are on these death sentences or life sentences and they opt it they volunteer or opt or forced into uh servitude on board a spacecraft to cut to to do um uh experiments on them basically self-experiment on this kind of uh suicide mission uh up in deep deep outer space uh there's again we're in spoiler territory so i just want to make sure that's clear uh i think i've you know as i've said before every any review i do i think is technically a spoiler zone just because it's easier to to not have to be uh to work under those re- uh, restraints there you know the, uh, late late in the movie this is when the there's a baby character and I like I like to leave some things a mystery but there's a baby character that's born on board this ship and wh- and why they're experimenting on being able to conceive and deliver a baby on board a ship that's basically uh, on a death mission seems like if this was some sort of government like that part of it just seemed like what the why would they do this it it seemed like the doctor character who was orchestrating that like i don't i didn't quite get the 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 uh, motivation behind that i think motivation is maybe the one kind of issue i have with this movie is that the character's motivations seem like muddy at best and they're they're constantly on this motor every every turn and twist that the characters go through on their on their journey into space they've they're presented with like a different motivational paradox and their answer to what happens is almost always sort of just like a game of chance maybe that's the point of it maybe maybe that this kind of nihilistic uh energy that this film puts off is sort of uh built in and in, in, in on purpose which I, I feel like it probably is uh the 
by the time they get and encounter a, a, a second spacecraft, now we now we're just dealing with Robert Pattinson, Pattinson and his uh, teenage daughter, and they're the only two people left on alive on the spaceship again. This is uh, another one of these movies that where we see a lot of time pass, and uh, in this movie, I felt like again everything's so abstract that I wasn't too con- concerned about. Um, like wouldn't would Robert Pattinson look older? Like I don't didn't care if they got any of that right. And this movie is uh, uh, specifically of the three didn't care didn't matter about that. I uh, yeah. So he's he's there and there's some there's some weird <laughs> weird incestual vibes going on with him and his daughter uh, when she's a teenager. I mean it's hard it's it's hard to miss and it's i mean it's certainly intentional and they, especially if you go back to the to all of the sexual uh content you know, the sexual stuff that they explore earlier in the film and then you put that in context with her as now as a um she has her period when she's like in his bed with him and it's it's you know uh it's it's a it's a diff- again these are difficult themes and <laughs> they're clearly like very deep and what they're trying to say about uh, hu- humanity and uh, human behavior. So, you know, I don't, I don't have all the answers. But that's why another reason why I like this film is that I felt like it had its issues, but I, I, its issues were always done in such a way that I was like, man, this is interesting, and it's really something that I would, uh, I would watch again. And uh, I can't say that as much for Ad, Ad Astra, which I liked, but I, that's not one that I'm gonna maybe put on uh, as soon as I can. Whereas this one, I would definitely give it a give it a go again. Uh, so you know, by the time they're in, the, they encounter uh, him and his daughter. Now, this is d- uh, obviously uh, going on a decade plus later. They encounter a second spacecraft, and I think it was number nine. Their their ship is uh, numbered number seven, and this, they find I think I think it's the number nine. It may have been six. Uh, and they are able to dock next to the ship and board the ship and uh, Robert Pattinson goes on and it's entirely inhabited by dogs who, who have um, gone mad and have eaten some, some they've cannibalized some of the other dogs there's only dogs on board this ship and you know, by by the time we're in that part of the story, I mean this journey, the time and space, and all of the reality is just completely fractured. And there's an earlier part of the story that's done, told through flashbacks, and it's of uh, Robert Pattinson as, as a younger person, really just a, t- a teen or a preteen or even, and his uh, girlfriend at the time kills his pet dog, and then he kills her for killing the dog, and. It's a, it's a, t- again, it's a gross, tough thing to to watch or think about. But here, you, here you have him on board this ship with all these kind of rabid, rabidish dogs in the middle of deep space, and he gets back on board the ship, and the daughter's like, you know, can why didn't you bring one back? And she's like, I would love to have a little little dog to snuggle up, but he's like, they're dirty, you know, they could be contaminated, blah blah blah. But I mean, at this point, the movie is so. You know, you're you're thinking, you, you're one part of your brain is thinking, well, why, what, what is these dogs have been on board for 15, 20 years and they're all just still alive. Like, cause they're, they're this far out in space themselves. Having, they probably have to have, uh, you know, be, I mean, dogs don't live that long. So it's like, okay, I'm trying to like do the map, but, but then you're like, Oh man, this is, this movie's now it's, we're only, 
left with the metaphors. This movie's just metaphors, and it's that's all we have. And because then was the dog and him not being able to bring a dog back, it's like you know that's it's pretty clear cut uh, uh, stuff, and it's great. It's good. It's good. It's good uh, uh, filmmaking. I think it's a it's a great film, and I really really enjoyed it. And like I said, but I give it eight point five two five. I give it like let's call it a nine out of ten. And I'm gonna put Claire Denis, a Claire Denis, on my list of filmmakers. And you know what? We're gonna put her on right here. Uh, it's sooner than later. So I'm gonna, you know, let's let's get in. Let's 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 do it here. Let's let's um let's branch out. Let's uh. Watch some more international movies. I don't. I like internet. I like reading the subtitles. I don't read enough, so when I when I get an, you know, a chance to read subtitles, I feel like I'm that's sort of reading, kind of. All right, that's about it. Now the next. Now we know. Now I know that the next one's what the next one's going to be, um, and that's uh, that's all. That's that's it. That's the you're gonna go right into this. And the next one's kind of long. I think it's the longest of of these three. So let's just get right to that. This is, uh, this has been my review of High Life. And now coming up after this short break, will be the final piece of the puzzle of my review of Aniara. Aniara is a Swedish, that's right, you heard it right, Swedish science fiction dystopian, very dark, and I would say at points challenging to get through for the viewers, And uh, which is, I feel like a lot of times these days, and not to be like these days kind of guy, but a lot of times movies these days are a little bit. Uh, I think they're wary to kind of go there with some, some crazy dark content for whatever reason. And this movie uh, is not scared to go there and gets insanely dark. Doing a little background on the film, which came out in 2018 in Sweden. and or, I'm sorry, late 2018 debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival, TIFF. And it was released here in the States in 2019 to a very small release. And it's actually on Hulu. If you're a Hulu subscriber, just go to your Hulu, local Hulu and you can watch and stream 
this movie. Aniara, and I'm, if I'm, it's hard to pronounce. A N I A R A. And it's actually based on a 1956 Swedish poem of the same name by a writer named Harry Martinson, uh, which is a a poem that I'll read a, uh, a one of the I guess cantos uh, is a hundred is this poem that consists of 103 cantos, and they relates uh, relates the tragedy of a large passenger spacecraft originally bound for Mars with a cargo of colonists. From the ravaged Earth, after an accident, the ship is ejected from the solar system into a existential struggle. So that all checks out. Uh, the style is symbolic, sweeping, and innovative for its time with creative use of neo- neologi- neologis- neologisms to suggest the science fictional setting. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read this one, Rhett Cantos, which is on the Wikipedia page. We listened daily to the sonic coins, provided every one of us, and played through the finger singer worn on the left hand. We track coins of diverse denominations, and all of them play all that they contain, and through a dime of one scarcely weighs one grain. It played out, plays out like a cricket on each hand, blanching here in this distraction land. I didn't. I didn't uh, read that thinking it was going to be a rhyming poem, but it, so I now that I see that it it, what, it did have some rhymes in it, which is interesting. An interesting use of the format of poetry, in my opinion. Uh, I loved this movie. I really loved it, and there's some roadblocks that I think are worth discussing or noting. And by, by by roadblocks, I mean the this this uh, I can't find any here uh, anything on here about the um, budget or whatever or what this movie cost. But I think there's a, the roadblocks, if there are any for this movie, would be in the sometimes the uh, set the, the the set design feels a little bit like we're in some sort of abandoned Planet Fitness gym and not on some state of the art futuristic uh, spaceship, but I'll I'll lay I'll lay the plot on the line here, and I'm going to get into spoilers most likely. So just uh, be aware of that. It's the kind of movie that I I I don't know where I heard about it, uh, where it how how it came into my purview, my radar. I don't remember. I think it was just one of my random movie blog finds, and some and I and I have this long list of uh, and it did, it did make a couple top ten lists, I think. So I mean, I'm not the I'm not the only one here uh, singing its praises, obviously, but. Uh, and it was given and released by Magnolia Pictures, a wider theatrical release in 2019. And that's a reputable company, of course. And now it's on Hulu. So clearly people have seen this. It's not, it's not underground, underground. But I think it's under the radar. And just let me lay down the plot here. It's some sort of climate change scenario has ravaged the Earth. A lot of the people boarding the ship, the large ship headed to, to Mars which is part of these routine uh, voyages that are basically they're colonizing Mars because, and and look, that's a whole other can of worms is like, you know, you could get, you could Neil deGrasse Tyson this to death. And, and and this is kind of true for the, all three of the movies I'm going to be looking at today in that I'm not a scientist. I don't, to me, I think about some of the, some of the realistic uh, ideas of this, which I think a lot, I think all three of these movies aren't necessarily, 
strictly in the realm of of what you might call, I guess, hard sci-fi, but they are probably closer to that than just kind of fan, fantastical, like loose sci-fi. I think that they, they, they want to be taken seriously from, from the science perspective. Now, I don't give a shit about it. To me, the enjoyment of a movie is, is rarely, I rarely base it on a sci-fi movie. I rarely base my enjoyment of a sci-fi movie on whether or not any of it makes sense uh, scientifically. I don't know enough. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm an idiot. I don't, I don't know how science stuff works or space stuff works, but when, when, when to my little pea brain, there is some sort of large, maybe plot hole in the, in, 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 in it, in the, in the logic that I, that I can recognize. And it might just be me wrecking. Maybe it's, maybe it's totally true, but it's, it's something that strikes me. It occasionally can have, uh, an impact. I'll say this about Anyara. None of none of that had an impact on me. But I mean, if you want to nitpick here, I don't know about Mars colonizing Mars as a large scale c- c- like place to colonize to live in. I think haven't we ruled that out? Neither here nor there. I mean, it's based on this 1950s poem, and in the and they never get to Mars. So just read <laughs> spoiler alert right off the bat here, and you kind of I think you get that pretty early on in the movie that this that they're never getting to Mars. Uh, it's sort of this. And this this movie is about um, to me it's about faith and it's about existentialism and what it means to kind of live and be alive and it's an interesting thought experiment and I think done really well on on screen here especially given the fact that this could not have been a huge production it could not have been cost a lot of money to 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 make a movie as to me as striking and again there are some noticeable set designs that I was sort of like uh, you know not in love with. But for, for but, but for but they were never for key scenes and they were never at moments that I thought really um, were that important to to uh, getting getting this movie and then in understanding what it's really all about. And so back to my description of the film: the climate change ravages the earth. You get people who have like scarred faces and they're they're boarding this uh, this this not even a, not even an aircraft. I mean, it's it's an aircraft in in the sense that. It's like nothing you could imagine unless you saw it on a film, because nothing like this exists. It's essentially a small city. It's a luxurious kind of, has all the creature comforts of modern, you know, a lot of Western society, and it's got you know, casino and bars and all kinds of entertainment and restaurants and shopping, and it's essentially, you know, they don't think they they ever get uh, a number, but I'm I'm guessing there's several thousand people on board the ship. And it's this large, just just long, fu- functional city, basically that's that, that's launched out into space, and it's going to transport these people to Mars because the Earth has become inhabitable. And the stars of the film, the the main character of the film, is a a woman who works aboard the ship, and is has done has uh, you know we get the we get the idea that she's done these trips before. How many times? Not so sure. It's 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 commonplace enough where it's almost has the feeling of like this is just uh you know like kind of a work you know it's there's nothing unique about it just showing up to work doing your job type of thing uh but there's an accident in space and the spaceship is sent spiraling off off course without any fuel so right there (laughs) You're kind of a, like, all right, well, now this entire city, cities, a small city's worth of people are basically 
uh, been just given a death sentence all at once. Now, and and there's different like psychological things that happen here, and and that's I think the music, the pacing of this movie, is, uh, um, really, really cool. And 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 uh, and I, I I loved the flow of this movie and how they how they would do do their time jumps and they they kind of they broke it up into chapters based on how much time had passed. So it starts off really small. It's like one week since the one week out in space. Then it's three weeks. Then it's one year. Then it's three years. Then it's five years. So they have the means, scientific means to make an algae based product to create drinkable water and uh, enough food. That's not, I mean, and they don't explore that. And I'm kind of glad they don't explore that, that, that part of like the sustainability of, of, uh, uh, sustaining a small city that's, that's lost in space that has no destination. Uh, but no, not, not, needless to say, they're, they sell a lie to the, um, people on board that they're, they're going to be able to, uh, get back on track and, and use a, I think they call it a celestial body to propel the ship back towards earth and return to earth. And that's, uh, of course that turns out not to be true. And then people find out that's not, not, not true. And then there's a, there's a, there's a, a kind of an outrage and there, there starts to be all this, um, you know, mutiny aboard the ship in the forms of like, you know, little, little cults and uprising, uh, but first, before that happens, the I think when they're still living in the lie, they uh, the one the the main character in play. I should have mentioned this earlier. Is uh, her job is a mima robe. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm I'm still sick. If you hadn't noticed a little bit, she's in charge of a machine, which is essentially a, a, a AI attraction on board the ship that you get to feel that most people don't take advantage of when the first. Um, launches down to space because it's just you know maybe it's something that like uh, it's like a virtual reality kind of AI thing where this this um, and again this is something that is not explained at all from a science standpoint but it's better that it wasn't because they didn't try to explain how this thing worked but it was essentially a room where the ceiling of the room is this kind of living breathing AI wave uh, thing that is able to kind of uh, hook into the people who are below its mind and and bring them into a uh, virtual reality just in their own kind of in, in almost in like a dreams a waking dream state so they're in this and 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 so when people go and it's called the mima and so the people go who people on board the ship who go visit this attraction uh lie on the floor face down using these little like circular donut pillows they put their faces into with holes in the side so they can breathe and they just let this machine kind of um, use their own memories of of uh, Earth and like nature and like lush, uh, na- like being outside, feeling sunlight, uh, birds, you know the whole the whole nine. It allows the people who are laying <laughs> face down on the floor to kind of experience what life was like. Now, obviously, on a th- what was meant to be a three week voyage from Earth to uh, Mars, now has become this you know indeterminate, possibly end uh, game scenario for everyone on board. This becomes an insane attraction where it's like all day long. People are just basically waiting in line to go use the machine for a certain amount of time because they it's the only kind of way they can kind of deal with being trapped out in space is that in the metal and the coldness of space. They can now at least have this whatever it is, hour, 20 minutes a day, and they can go experience the lush uh, 
nature of their memories through this machine. And year th- in year three of this joint voyage, they uh, they basically kill the machine. The AI, which is essential n- part of the narrative, and they it's not it's not the the destruction of Mima is really done is is done in a way that I thought was really um was really good because it's 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 they could have gone all like Hal from uh Space Odyssey and, and made a huge you know it could have been such a a you know uh, a a moment in time where the where the AI kind of uh, is like you know I can't you know it kind of revolts but it's it's more that not that the AI revolts but it kind of just ha- use overusing itself for so long um by parsing so many humans' memories, it basically gets infected by all of the hum- the bad human memories from Earth, and the machine has this very like poetic uh, voiceover. And that was the clip you heard that I started with. I just, you know, obviously it's in Swed- in Swedish, so it didn't translate. Uh, but but the, that computer voice speaking Swedish in the clip I just played was um, the Mima voice, and the translation of that is pretty pretty amazing. Uh, it's um very it's almost poetry in its own right. I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if some of that maybe came from the poem. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how much specifically like details. You know, it would be interesting to read the whole poem and compare it and contrast to the actual kind of plot setup of this because it was so long ago. I mean, you're talking seventy years, uh, sixty sixty five years about of um time between the the this guy writing this poem, Harry Martinson. R.I.P. He uh, was born in 1904. Um, and he actually has a, uh, seems like a pretty, he's got his own Wikipedia page. Um, it's an interesting poem, especially in the 50s. Someone's writing a, it's kind of a sci-fi poem. Well, it's like you would never, I mean, maybe people are still writing sci-fi poems, but that just seems like a, such a specific thing that it's a, very unique to me. It's drawn, I'm drawn to the idea that this film was based on a, a poem. Everything I read about this film afterwards, I was sort of like more interested in it. Uh, I don't know if the, the director, the team uh, is, two, is a two-person team, Pella Kagerman and Hugo Ligia. And they they both wrote the screenplay, uh, of course, b- based on the poem. I don't know much about them. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a first, uh, first year, whatever, uh, for them or not. But anyway, the... Now we're in real spoiler alert here. I think I think it's worth worth talking about the, the plot just because it's so so fascinating. I don't always talk about films and and just kind of stock going uh, start to finish what happens in the movie. I don't think that's always interesting, but in this case, uh, I think it's w- worth it just to kind of dissect some of the ideas. By the fourth year, they have developed on board the ship cults, and there's been the there's been a series of kind of mass suicides. And it's this idea of like, you know, not being able to uh, stomach or <laughs> not being able to deal with the fact that like your life is has an expiration date and it's a lot sooner than probably it would be otherwise. And like you're confined to this metal box, right? Like that's it's, it's and like a lot of times a lot of uh, the characters 
I think they, they use the word sarcophagus. They might use the word coffin, but essentially that's what it is. And so they have these cults, uh, a lot of suicides, uh, some uh, revolts, and even with the uh, in the with the destruction of Mima, they actually imprison the Mima robe character, the main character, and uh, she actually spends the better part of that uh, the year after that. I guess they uh, insinuate that she's in some sort of jail scenario, but by the fourth year, they've the population via the suicides. And whatnot has been decimated that uh, the people who are quote unquote jailed and she's among like, I guess there's this 30 or so people in this, this jail. They decide that the captain of the ship decides who, who's captain who grows a beard that just gets um, scruffier and scruffier as the years go on. They decide to release all the prisoners and let them work because they, they, they're losing bodies. So they need to, they need every all hands on deck at that point to kind of make the life on the ship uh, functional. So that makes sense, and uh, they all come out there, and then more cults, not non-suicide cults, uh, start to develop, and one of them being a fertility orgy cult, and there's a lovely orgy scene. And at this point, um, the Bima robe has uh, she's in a uh, love affair with another lady, so it's a they, there's a the, there's like a le- bisexual lesbian. Um, uh, Gay. I, I, it seems like everyone, everyone involved in the orgy was sort of just going having a free for all. Which go, you know, you're on a you're on a death, uh, floating death ship to to nowhere. Why not? I mean, just you might as well. And the orgy leaves um, <laughs> Mima Robes' partner, her her like live-in girlfriend partner. Uh, she becomes pregnant and carries the child to birth. But is immediately sort of struck, stuck with this existential dread of, you know, what the fuck did we do bringing a child into this uh, floating abyss? And I think that the idea of the, of the fertility cult was that this is what you do on Earth. This is what you do on a spaceship floating to nowhere. Like you can't deny that the urge to create life. And... These are real interesting questions to me. Like these are just some fascinating ideas and the movie does a great job of portraying the he- the weight of these ideas and and how how heavy they are. And yeah, I would love to have seen this if this movie had the freaking end and end game budget. How cool this could have been, but it's still, you know, there there's a charm to the fact that it was was kind of a lesser budget in a way too. So I, I don't I don't know. It's, I'm torn between wanting to criticize or not 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 criticize it, but wanting to at least point make a make a make it a point to to say that, that that this movie does does have a look of um, a, an indie production when it, where where they're clearly dealing with on such a large scale that that's that's a disconnect there, and saying that's part of the charm. I I, I think it, it it's sort of both in a way. So they continue on and they find a large probe, and this was another kind of interesting idea. And this 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 little plot uh, diversion about this probe, they find they they. They're able to tell everyone on board the ship that they think it might be a rescue probe, and that there's an, that's containing fuel being that was being sent sent out by people at you know on Earth uh, to rescue them, and that they're they're about a year away from running into this. Their trajectory is showing that they're going to be able to find this large kind of probe to, uh, container that's floating out in space, and that they'll be able to um, harness it, bring it in, and then open it and uh, see if it has fuel inside. They don't know. It's just a large kind of like alien looking orb. 
and they train during this year. They they develop a system that they're going to use to capture the orb and bring it into uh, onto the deck of the ship. Um, but they bring it in. And it's essentially just of their its origin is n- is is nothing. Um, it's just a indecipherable kind of space object that's maybe alien or what like what what the function of this orb which is to me that that was another re- another kind of nice uh parallel to like having faith and believing in something and you might like we have these like idol systems of like uh of systems of worship and it's this sense they're we're worshiping this just long kind of orb floating orb and it turns out just to be in- impenetrable uh in in just this big symbol of nothing just nothing inside of it and that was, I thought, a very, very kind of nice metaphor. And the last kind of ditch effort to improve morale was the Mimoro begins work on an invention that will project kind of beautiful visuals of nature out into space, back in through the windows. I don't know how that works exactly, but it was a projection device to basically show like a large waterfall or some other kind of kind of uh, image. So if you looked out into the, uh, the windows, which was previously just darkness of space, you would get some light beaming back towards you. Uh, and and it's immediately, you know, everyone who sees it sort of like, you know, just joyous that this kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're out of the darkness. Five, this is you now six years into the, into this voyage of going nowhere and then and having no hope. They now have this, this source of light and they're able to kind of rejoice in that, but immediately after this, and this is the big spoiler, uh, and the darkness of all time. Uh, she, uh, the Mimaro, who is is so happy that this worked, and she's 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 beaming herself. She goes back to her room to go tell her partner uh, what that this thing worked, and to come see. And she finds that the partner has killed the baby or the small child, and has committed suicide herself. So they're both dead in the room. And this is towards the end of the um, uh, towards the end of the movie, and then the f- and then there's just complete dark and just just void of any kind of life and feeling. And then it's um, flash forwards another five years, and they're celebrating the tenth anniversary of the voyage into space. The captain of the ship, and now you can see there's like, everyone is sort of has just dead eyes and a dead look, and they're having this kind of ceremony to honor the tenth anniversary but all of them are, are just kind of listless. And uh, she gives he gives the Mimarob uh, main character a medal, a captain's medal for, for inventing the um, space beam, uh, beam screen that, that's been able to give them light. And when she goes up to get the award from the captain, she, he notice, she notices that his, his wrists have been bandaged in that it looks like he's been he'd maybe contemplated cutting, cutting himself and killing himself. So the captain uh, is just... Um, you know, like uh, himself dealing with just clear, clear uh, uh, depression and this existential dread. And then we have another fast forward 24 years into the voyage. And at this point, there's just a small group of um, um, passengers alive. And they're all sitting um, in a room kind of on the ground. And they, at this point, they've all have cataracts, uh, which is... I guess what happened out in space, I think if you spend enough time on space and we'll talk about this in one of the other movies that I'm going to review today, uh, you, you would basically go blind after a certain amount of years in, in kind of, uh, not having any, uh, sunlight or natural light touch your eyes. 
So I think that checks out. But they're all sitting there basically blind with these kind of cataract-looking white eyes, and they're all sitting together, a very small group. And then there's an unidentified woman kind of saying a prayer about sunlight on Earth. And we see the Mimuro kind of blinking in just kind of semi-conscious state. And then we get in one kind of, I thought, very cool final flash forward. It says almost, I think it's 5,300,221 years into the future. So it's like almost six, 6 million years later, we see the spaceship still floating. Everyone's, of course, long dead. And they've reached the outer reaches of uh, the solar system. Uh, and they've discovered another planet that is welcome, welcoming in blue and green, just looking just like Earth, but not quite like Earth. And they're like about to run into it or run by it. And it's just a nice little closing moment of a really, really, really fantastic film that I was happy that I that happy uh, came into my radar and happy that I sat down and watched it. And uh, it's on Hulu and I recommend it. I am giving it a high score. That's right, folks. I'm going to give it a nine point uh, two nine point two zero one for uh, nine point two zero one. Okay. Let me write this down. And there you have it, my review of Aniara. Go check it out. That's it. Wrap it up. I hope you enjoyed that. That was your, uh, I recorded that last part you just listened to chronologically first. So hopefully it made a little sense. <laughs> sense all put it all together. Um, I'm gonna just do a quick. I know I mentioned a few times during the, those reviews that I was gonna talk about them in uh, as a, as a trio, and I can do that. But it's like you know, it's it's just it it. It, it lucked out in a weird way that they had these parallels and if you're looking to just go into just deep space sci-fi uh, mode and you want you want to for whatever reason uh, connect the dots uh, of certain things and it's they might be fun it was I, I enjoyed it I, I actually like watching movies in blocks like this that have kind of weird uh, weird thematic ties uh, just because it's 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 interesting to see how these ideas are explored in by different, totally different, you know, I saw one was a French filmmaker working with the English language in probably the lowest budget affair, High Life. You had the biggest budget American movie with megastar Brad Pitt at Astra. And then you had a Swedish film that probably had a similar budget to high life but it was dealing on a, dealing with a, a much larger scale which I thought which I think is like a borderline classic movie uh, I, I, I really like that movie a lot dude, despite that it, it was um, it didn't look like the big kind of space movies we expect here in 2020 and beyond but the, so all of these films, 
their interesting part about them is they're, I would say, at the very minimum, 90% of them, 90 95% of, of all of the movies take place in space, either on the moon, on Mars, in the case of Aniara, on the entire time en route to Mars, but never going anywhere. Uh, in High Life, only we see we get a few flashbacks back to Earth. Otherwise, we're just kind of in a kind of non uh, non specific deep space uh, in the vicinity of black holes and, or, or a black hole. So it's it's this existential question of the vastness of space is explored in each of them, and, and uh, you know, obviously, Ad Astra presents the most hopeful take on this because Brad Pitt's returned home returns home uh, in one piece uh, although maybe psychologically not the same or maybe for maybe psychologically for the better and the other two uh, obviously <laughs> Aniara has a weirdly hopeful ending although you know that that's a, that's a that's the very end uh, and the, the the, the lead up to that is uh, very dark and very filled with much despair, as is High Life, which the very ending of High Life, which I didn't talk about in my blurb, uh, my blurb, I mean, the segment, the middle segment there about High Life. I didn't mention the ending specifically. Uh, the ending of that film presents the two characters, uh, Robert Pattinson and his daughter, uh, going into or towards a black hole in a small craft and then they're seen in kind of a yellow light outside of the craft holding hands kind of she's wearing lipstick which is an interesting uh you know what was that supposed to say and clearly that goes back to the uh ideas of man woman kind of uh, uh, uh growing into sexuality i feel like in the weird uh weird <laughs> parental child relationships and, and, and how that's connected and in a very uh, touchy uh, way. Um, clearly the High Life was the horniest movie of them all. I didn't mention the sex box either in that one. Although Aniara was, had some uh, had the orgy scene so that was pretty horny too. Ad Astra, sorry Brad Pitt fans, not, not horny at all really. Uh, that, was, that was not about, that was more about um, father-son type shit and they all kind of <laughs> underlying I think every one of them deals with the idea of climate change in a weird way they all kind of have this notion that the earth, we're leaving the earth because there's something wrong with the earth and then it's it's very uh, vaguely implied some in some some points more concretely than others that they were leaving it due to climate change specifically okay that's that's a real that's a real thing I wouldn't say that any of the films make that the central theme though it's 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 just a kind of a, a backing device to get us into to think about other parts of um, the human experience and I think Ad Astra is about connecting you know so so the, what what is that Ad Astra which I like the least but again I liked all three of these movies quite a bit uh, Ad Astra is about, uh, lo about loneliness. They're all about loneliness. I think that's the one kind of bridge. But Ad Astra is more about the idea of human connecting and the familial, familial bonds and, and, and um, the strain that, that we can kind of feel between our, our parents. High Life 
is about that as well, I think. And it is, there's a lot of um, father-child, parent-child ideas. Uh, it's also deeply about um, connecting in, in, in life and in, in the, uh, st- the cycles of life and how maybe ultimately they're futile. And Aniara, I think, is the one, if any of them, is the one that touches upon faith the most. Because I think that one brings out the question of why more than anything. And that's maybe why I liked it the most is because it, it made, made me think about the, the, big, the big question of, like, well, what is the point of any of this, of, of breathing and, and being alive? doing anything so I mean this you know, all dark sci-fi space movies that I'm happy to have watched and I'm glad that they uh, were all made and I appreciate them all so very much listen I don't know when I'm going to be able to record the next episode of the movie review show it'll be episode number 250 it'll be the 300th movie that I have reviewed and I'm leaving in a mystery I can also say that in this, in the interim, I've also kind of I've watched another film that is uh, due for a um, review, and then I want to do the next chapter of the Nicolas Cage thing. We're only on chapter four here in March. Not going, w- not not exactly the one uh, one per week uh, that I thought I might be able to to do with that project. It's a little bit more time uh, a time investment than I thought it would be. But that's coming up as well. That'll be so that I have episode 300, 301, and 302 all kind of mapped out. And they will likely be all arriving early next week. Let's be realistic here. I don't think we're, I did this three-parter here. And so that's going to be the only one for this week. But I do appreciate you listening. And stay, you know what I learned the last couple of the, the, the last 24 hours, 48 hours is that, you know, I'm trying to don't look at the internet. It's, it's, it's got, it, it's between the election cycle stuff, which I've gotten myself weirdly obsessed with. This is neither here nor, here nor there in terms of the movie reviews. And, uh, if this is a time capsule episode, then this is not, uh, this is not good content, but the, the, between the coronavirus, which may, maybe, maybe that's, this is more related to, to that than I realized, uh, and the um, election stuff, it is a whew. You can't really, uh, uh, it's like, it, it just seems, um, it's never ending. And it, it's easier to tune out than to kind of maneuver the fucking uh, um, minefield of what it, what it feels like sometimes. So I'm going to just, I'm tuning out, baby. Uh, I got my, I'm going to read my music blogs and my movie blogs. That I like, and apparently a little Uzi Vert's album came out today, so that's cool. Uh, he's, I like him. <laughs> all right, that's all. Um, nothing else. Nothing else to say. This was a guy I liked, it and I did, I did. I think hopefully this one, this one came out all right. And I enjoyed doing it. So, see you next time. <laughs>